Welcome to the State of America Road Report. With your hosts, David Hudson and Ian Rice. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America Road Report. Today we're going to be covering the July 24th show at the Bank of New Hampshire Pavilion in Guilford, New Hampshire. Joining me today, very special guest, very welcome guest, somebody we've had on many, many times before, a good friend of the show, Mr. Steve Gleason. Steve, how are you doing, sir? Good, Ian. How are you? Wonderful. It's wonderful to have you because I know you have been there and back with the band and, and been on the road with them many times, so I'm very interested in your perspective on the whole thing. I have. Beautiful venue. They've played there a couple of times in the past, and uh, I was very trepidatious about this tour, and uh, I was pretty happy with, with the final product. Um, you know, it's a really nice venue near the White Mountains. Eh, let's call it in the White Mountains, but kind of near the big part of the White Mountains. Right. Uh, it's a really nice venue. So about, uh, 40 of us met up, um, you know, had burgers and uh, a bunch of people from the different boards and whatnot. And, uh, I made it in, um, just as Dirty Honey was ending, uh, I caught Roland Sevens and, um, you know, got in my seat and kind of got mentally prepared for them to come out and, think about what I was going to do and, uh, you know, how I was going to react and whatnot. And, uh, I thought that they came out really hot. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen the stage set up. There's a bar with a bartender. Yes. Um, which is kind of interesting. Um, and when you see the lights, you think it's kind of reminiscent of, uh, the netting in 92. I was waiting for like the Christmas light kind of effect that went on there, right. but it doesn't really, it doesn't really shape up like that. Um, but it's, it's definitely a production. Uh, I happen to know the guy that does uh, sound there and he came up to us. He was going to upgrade our seats, but we, our seats were good enough. They couldn't upgrade them <laughs> past that. Anyways, he stopped to say hello. And he said that there was like seven semi trailers and they had been there since nine in the morning and it was the biggest production that they had of the year. So uh, he said, it's really good. You're going to really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the vibe I was getting. Like, it seems like it's much more, I don't want to say a stage show, but like there's much more invested in the, the overall visual with it. Like, you know, for the most part, for the better part of the last 10, 15 years, they kind of just came out and played and that was it, you know? Right. Well, you know, look, I saw the pictures online of the, the white suit and the hat and the umbrella I just all the pictures look like it was going to be, you know, the BYS era, which I, I when people are like fired up about that, I question their integrity. Um, <laughs> Come on, <laughs> in man. Seeing a bunch of those shows. I thought the show enough shows were good, um, but it was kind of totally the opposite of that. So, you know, they opened they came out and Chris came out with the umbrella, which I thought was going to be kitschy and weird. And it wasn't. It was kind of cool, and uh, the vibe was good, and 
And, you know, then Rich lit into uh, the twice as hard riff. Rich, might I say, is so impossibly loud. I was 18 rows back and like, God, he plays loud still and just ungodly loud. So uh, that kind of lit the night off. And uh, I thought personally, I thought Chris ruled. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. So if you're looking for like 1995 coked up Chris, who's not dancing around much, this guy ain't it. If you're looking for 96 heroin chic Chris, nothing to say to the audience swaying back and forth, this isn't it. If you're looking for like 1999 pimp Chris, not it. 2001 Lions guy without the mic stand, that's not it. The guy that he is right now is much more reminiscent of like 1992, dancing around and whatnot and into it. And I thought that the energy between the brothers was like really, really palpable. They seemed to really being enjoying each other and it. Yeah, I, I just thought that that the energy was really, really good, really good. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of got that impression, and I've always that's one thing I, I wanted to ask people uh, every time the subject comes up is that they do they genuinely seem to be enjoying each other's company? Yeah, that's that's the vibe I got, and you know, I was as skeptical as anyone, right? As anyone, you know, I, I was at the Brothers of a Feather in Boston, heard they had a big fight back there and they came in separately, left separately and was like, ah. but it didn't feel that way at all. So as far as the playing, you know, Twice as Hard was really good. And, you know, Chris started out good. Big crowd, by the way, you know, look, I saw some empty rows near me and whatnot, but the venue fits, I think it's 9,000. I'd say conservatively, maybe there was 7,500 there. It was, it was pretty crowded. That's pretty respectable. I'd say 90% of that venue was filled and there to see the Black Crows, which is, by the way, if you're in the community, a good thing. Exactly. It's definitely a good thing. So they, you know, they played the, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is you see the set list and you know that they're going to play Shake Your Money Maker in order. And you think like that's going to be the boring part of the show and let's see what they get to in the second half. And really, the moneymaker part was the best part of the show. Really? Yeah, and a lot of those songs are really like, you know, when you get them, you're like, oh, twice as hard. <laughs> you know, and in, a, in a regular Crow set, and that's that just didn't feel like the case at all. It just felt a good vibe about it, and it felt fresh is the word I want to use, even though it's so far from fresh. Well, yeah, it seems to me like they're treating the the Shake Your Money Maker material with a lot more reverence than they used to, which is is refreshing, and it seems to kind of give it a new life in a way. Yeah, I mean, geez, Jealous again, bounced, bounced, bounced. But I'll say this, okay, so let's before we do the tunes, the players, the dude on the on the uh, on the organ and the piano, he's he's great, tremendous. I thought he was he was really good. The drummer, up and down, mostly up. I thought his work on seeing things was absolutely fantastic. But there were some songs where, like, Gorman plays just a little bit behind the beat and right. accents things in a certain way, and I don't think he has all that yet, but I think he'll be fine. I mean, Sven is Sven. That dude dropped bombs all night long. I would question his taste in jackets, but... <laughs> Listen, man, Sven Pippian can wear whatever jacket he wants to, okay? <laughs> he really can, by the way. He was he was great. He uh he was killing it all night long. The so the the backup singers, I don't know. I was like, eh, you know, I, I don't know why Charity and Mona aren't there. I just don't understand it. Uh, uh but 
Isaiah Mitchell is the guy for me that's kind of like, yeah, there's a couple of things like they did salvation and I thought he really, I loved his take on the, on, on the song and there was a lot of sustain and, you know, he held a bunch of the notes for a long time and I thought his, his, uh, his approach to it was really good, but like on a lot of songs, it's like, I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. The, all the moneymaker stuff was really, really good. Uh, I will say that Strut and Blues, Chris dropped a step and a half, but it was down, way down, definitely for him to be able to sing it. But most of the stuff like was really, really good. And obviously it was really well rehearsed. It was when you got to the, the what they called the hits. That, you know, at times it was like they were seven guys who never met each other before but knew the tunes. Right. Uh, not everything. I actually thought Isaiah was great on Sting Me. That's so he hit that solo well. But like, no speak, no slave. Nope. Mm-mm. I would imagine that even, even with rehearsal, it'd be hard to find your full footing on a lot of that material because it's really something probably you have to feel out live a few times. You know what I mean? I would guess that. It's the third show. I mean, but I thought Isaiah Mitchell was the weak link of the show. I hate to say that. I just do. It's it's odd to hear you say that just because he's such a phenomenal guitar player overall. Like, I like his work in in his, you know, his other bands and things. Sure. I, but I like Oddly Freed's work in other bands, True. and I thought he sucked in the Black Crows. I don't know what to say. Like, he never met a note he didn't like in a bunch of these songs, and it's like... <laughs> Why? Have you listened to how these songs are played? It's almost like, you know, he listened to them like, I'm not going to do that. You know, he was pretty good on Thorn. Uh, For the most part, I don't want to take away from it because I thought Chris was like ultimately dominant in his performance. He was in great voice. You know, he was super soulful. His, his, uh, His take on Angels was just you know, astounding that he can still get there, you know. Uh, yeah, he was he was the best part of the show. Rich was hit everything. But it was really palpable on Wiser Time when you get to the part where you have this sonic weaving of the two solos, where Rich never even looked over at the other side of the stage. They didn't come together. Like, Rich didn't spend a lot of time looking at, at Isaiah Mitchell or interacting with him at all, which I thought was weird. That is, that would be a little off-putting. Going back a bit to something you just said before, though, you know, because we're talking about the guitar players. So, like, when you hear somebody playing uh, something that was originally played by Mark Ford, uh, do you allow yourself to accept like a different approach to it? Like, it's not exactly Mark Ford's thing. Like, are you okay with that? Because I like, I liked a lot of stuff Luther did with Mark stuff, even though it wasn't Mark's parts like traditionally. I kind of was okay with that because he's such a good player and he he did tasteful things. I mean, can you allow yourself to be, you know, not expecting note for note Mark Ford stuff? Very fair question. Very especially since I've I've kind of written open love letters to Mark Ford on this podcast <laughs> way too many times. It's a very fair question about my bias. I'll say this: I thought that Luther for years was great on anything that he played on with the Crows. Any cover that had a little country tinge to it, even the moneymaker stuff, but I thought he just couldn't cop the feel or the tone of Southern Harmony. He's like not a Gibson kind of guy. I don't I don't know how else to put it. Uh, Isaiah was playing a gold top most of the night, and um, 
I thought on some things, like, look, I thought the Salvation solo was really good. Like, really good. But there were some that I was like, like Wiser, for example. Like, I don't, why, why so noty? Why? Why? No speak, same idea. You remember when, when Audley used to do no speak? Mm-hmm. Didn't you cringe? A little bit. When he yeah. started? Yeah. I felt the same way on some of the songs. That's all I'm saying. I mean, really, to me, it's like a testament to how good Mark's playing is, really. Oh, look. I mean, you can't take it away from the guy. It's no different than Mick Taylor and, and the Stones. It is what it is. It's not a perfect world. But and but uh, to, to be very fair about the band, like, I'd give it like an 8.5 out of 10. It was really good. I had a great time. The vibe was excellent. There's just some things as a longtime fan. It's like, do I want to see them mix it up? Yeah. I got one different song than the Nashville show, the last Nashville show. And you took out my morning song to do it, which kind of bums me out. But at the same time, like they're doing a thing and appealing to a lot of people. I totally get that. They, they're they not calling me up asking me what I think. I, I get it. I think it's it's I think what they're doing is smart. They're finally actually thinking about a broader audience than jackasses like me at home listening to every bootleg known to man. I mean, that's probably financially smart. But sooner or later, you know, are they going to be back in theaters? I think they are. And I wonder how that's going to go if you don't have a complete synergy between the guitar players. But it was really good. Sterrett Cole was great. Seeing Things was gospelly awesome. That dude that plays uh, keys from the Once and Future band was killing on that tune, as was the drummer. They built this giant crescendo at the end, extended out the, the chorus at the end. It was really, really, really good. I loved that. And just remember, folks, this is a man that is a diehard Black Crows fan and was willing to give this a shot. So, I mean... That's encouraging. No, because a lot of the a lot of the old time fans, not a lot of them, but you know, you see some people around that just adamantly would not even give it a shot. And I think it's I think my perspective from it was always I followed this band for so long. I I, I feel like I owe it to them to give them a shot at what they're doing now. Well, look, I think if you listen to this podcast, you probably understand the the lineage of the band and. Look, uh, BYS era sucks. We all hated it. This isn't that. It's just not. I think it could get confused with what that turned into or what that was. I don't think it's that. I really don't. I think go and give it a shot. I mean, life is better with the Black Crows playing. And they were good, like legitimately good. And people that I know that went that aren't huge fans really had a good time and enjoyed it. And I, I brought, I don't know, a hundred different people to Black Crow shows over the last 30 years. And a lot of times they're like, yeah, they played two songs I knew and then endlessly jammed a bunch of shit. I had no idea what it was. I'm like, yeah, but they did. And they're like, yeah, that's great for you. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, it's only rock and roll was very cool, but I knew it was coming, but it was still cool. You know, I was hoping for happy. Salvation was really good. And Chris was just brought it to that place, you know. Um, there were parts that were just great and, you know, parts that weren't. That that, But it was still good. Eight and a half out of ten. That's what I'd give it. And if Mark Ford was there, this would have been a ten out of ten, people. If Mark Ford was there, 
even with zero jamming and zero exploration of the soul singing jam that I'm always looking for, mm. I still would have given it a, a, a nine and a half, ten out of ten. It was really good. There was a lot to like. Let me ask you this, just you know, off the top of your head, I'm going to separate this into the into the two sets. Really, what was the highlight from the Shake Your Money Maker stuff? Seeing things. Although Jealous again was really good. And then from the only hits uh, section, I would say Salvation. And I was totally like, I, I you know, I, I trained my camera right in Isaiah <laughs> right before the solo started, just so I could like watch it three or four times and see what I actually really thought of it. Hey. And I thought that was really, I thought it was really good. I liked it. And just just quickly, because I haven't heard uh, you know mention of it, how are they doing with uh, kicking my heart around? That was tuned down significantly. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it kind of loses its kick when you tune these things down like a step. It just really kind of guts the the bounce of it. Did I think it was bad? No, I thought it was cool. The band played it well. You know, everything was in its right place, and Rich is killing on that tune. Mm. All that slide work he does is just excellent in it. It was good. So for the for the folks out there that still might be on the fence, what uh, what's your parting message for them? Go. I'm going again to uh, Great Woods in September. You know, I I won't see a million shows. I wouldn't I wouldn't travel for it. Okay. I didn't go to Newport to see the Brothers of a Feather. You know, and I if you want people to travel and see multiple shows, you got to switch it up a little more. But that's kind of not what they're doing. But I thought you know overall the band was pretty excellent. I liked it. I liked it. I mean. That goes a long way with me, and uh, it makes me feel good about Jones Beach in September. I'll tell you what, Steve, thank you very much for joining us for this Road Report segment. I really do appreciate it. You guys can check out Steve as a member of the Americans Black Crows Tribute Band and also of the band Syndicate, uh, doing some uh, tribute to many different artists in that. And uh, <laughs> both, both can be found on social media. You can check them out and check out their dates in the Northeast. Steve, thank you. Thank you, Ian. You know, it's always a pleasure to have you, my friend. Absolutely. And, yeah, check us out at uh, Americans.com, and I guarantee if you come see us, the set list might change. <laughs> but that's not the point. The Black Crows are, are kicking right now, and, and if you're a fan, you should be out seeing them. Support the band. That's what you should be doing. Right on. All right. Again, thank you, Steve, and thank you all for joining us. We will see you on the next Road Report. Stay tall, everybody. <laughs>
Money making. She won't shake her 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 money making. She won't shake her